What a reminder of the kingdom that God is ushering in during this season. We're beginning a brand new series today called The Kingdom, Encounter the Unexpected. We're in the season of, of Lent that leads up to um, Easter on March 31st. So over these next six weeks, about 40 days, Lent started on, on Wednesday, and it really marks 40 days, not, in count, not, not including weekends. And it's really a time of preparation. And when I think about Christmas and Easter, the season of, of really focusing from the birth of Christ all the way till his death and resurrection, and I look at these two seasons, and they're really a season for us to dive deep and to grow spiritually and to really lean into who is Jesus and what is that story. Now, personally, uh, that the, the anticipation of Christmas seems to be a much more joyful and exciting time than the time leading up to Easter seems to carry with it sometimes a bit of heaviness. Anyone else? And that's appropriate. Now, as I would say probably as just modern-day people and even as Americans and in our culture, we want to avoid pain. We want to avoid death. I mean, it's a human thing. We all want to avoid that kind of thing. And so we tend to lean in, and at Christmas, it's exciting, Advent, and anticipation, and presence, and it's really a season many times marked by excess. There's so much around us, right, and more of these things. And, and, and Easter, and the season of Lent, this time heading into Easter, becomes a season of, of pulling away, of stripping down, of focusing deeper. And many of us don't like to go there. Our world and our our, our, the pace of life doesn't allow us to sometimes slow down, or we don't take the time to do that. And so during this season of Lent, we want to create an environment to create space for you to really dive deeper, to have this be a time where, where you do some soul searching, where you really encounter Jesus through his kingdom. And we've provided some resources for you. I know Kyle earlier mentioned we're going to have a couple of showings of the, of the chosen here, and I think there's just going to be something neat about watching that together, not just alone at home if you've, or if you haven't even seen the series come out. We've picked a couple of episodes that I think will just be a powerful time for us to just slow down and do that. And we have one on Tuesday night. Uh, the first one. But you also hopefully all received a journal as you came in today. If you didn't, you can grab one on the way out, or maybe we can still get one to you while you're here. Um, but it's for the next several weeks, and what we're doing with these is every day you have an opportunity to get into God's Word, to have a moment of prayer and reflection that ties into the weekly themes we're teaching here about the kingdom of God leading us all the way to Easter. There's room for message notes. I hope you're all frantically taking notes this morning in your journal or on your phone uh, to really drive home some of these points. And there's uh, discussion questions for you to do with your life group or with some friends. So make sure that you take advantage of this journal and the messages in the series leading up here to Easter as we uh, do that. So we're going to spend the next several weeks on the kingdom. Kingdom. What are we talking about when we talk about the kingdom? This morning I want to share a little bit about an introduction into the kingdom that we're talking about, and then into part one, uh, more and less, we're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. But the kingdom, what are we talking about here over the next six weeks? Did you know that Jesus talked about the kingdom and mentioned the kingdom of God over 50 times just in the gospel of Matthew alone? 60 times. Um, we're not quite ready for that picture, but that's okay. You guys can look at it. It's pretty cool. I guess we can, I guess we can leave it up. <laughs> I was like, you guys are looking at something. I'm like, what are you, what are you guys looking at? Um, I can tell the attention. Sometimes it's not great to have a big giant screen behind you and not know what's going on back there. <laughs> but Jesus talked about the kingdom of God over 50 times. Just in, or Matthew mentions that, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom. It was obviously a very important theme that, that needed to be shared. But it was a kingdom, a radical kingdom, unlike any other kingdoms 
that, that, that the world had seen and known, and he began to talk and teach about this and, and try to help us understand that there is a kingdom that exists that we're not even maybe aware of, that we don't realize and it's a spiritual kingdom, but it's also one that impacts our daily life and, 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 and how we live this out. And so we, what we want to do over the next several weeks is try to understand this kingdom of God. What does it look like? How does it function? And how do we live in that? And so when we think about kingdom, I just want you right now, just picture in your mind, when I say the word kingdom, what is it that you imagine? Actually, take a moment and talk to a neighbor or somebody sitting next to you. Just, just what are a couple words, when you think of the word kingdom, what comes to mind? A little interactive here. You get kingdom. What do you think about kingdom? If you're more of a, like, I don't want to talk to anybody, just think about it in your mind. Kingdom. What is kingdom? Okay. All right, what do you picture when you picture kingdom? Now, I heard Disney Magic Kingdom. I did not, I did not think of that one. That one did not cross my mind. But, but what is the symbol of the Magic Kingdom? It's a castle, right? So I'm sure someone's thought of castle. And castle, it's not just some kind of rinky-dink castle. It's some kind of magnificent castle, right? It's based off of the, the castle of Neuschwanstein in uh, Germany outside of Munich, right? That's what it was modeled after, opulence and, and, and prestige, what else, what else did you think about when you thought about kingdom? A king, what else? Yeah, someone in charge. You think about king, maybe you think about war, maybe you think about boundaries, uh, like borders you know, that are there, palaces and, and military might, conquests. And this is what we think about kingdom. And when we think about our world and we think about the history of kingdoms, there's been some amazing kingdoms. We, we often call them empires. The Ottoman Empire, right? We think about the, the British Empire for many years, the Roman Empire, there's the Byzantine Empire, so many different empires, great leaders and rulers, Alexander the Great, Napoleon, Queen Elizabeth, right? Different kingdoms that are defined by, by their might and their rule and their power and the reach that they had. And then when we look at today, we don't talk as much in terms of kingdoms, but we think of powerful nations, superpowers, right? We think back to the Cold War and the United States and Russia, these, these mighty, you know, powers. Today, we're looking at, you know, whether it's China or India or just different nations that, that are seeking to have authority. And, and there's, we still see it today. There's, there's borders being contested, right? There's wars being fought for rights and for leadership and for rule. We look inside our own country, and we're in an election year. Do people care about who's in charge? It seems to be the only thing anybody ever talks about on the news and on social media is, is, is the presidential race. Somebody wants to have power. There's a group of people, whether it's the Democrats or whether it's the Republicans or whether it's independents or libertarians. I don't do we even have any of those left. But we've got these people wanting power because they want to influence. They want to set the tone. They want to set the agenda for, for what is to come. And, and when you look at that, you, you say, when you um, are part of a kingdom... And when we are, we, you know, we're here in the United States, most of us are probably U.S. citizens. This means that this is our nation. This is the one that we pledge our allegiance to. I pledge allegiance to the United States of America, right? We taught that early on in our schools. And it means that, that there's a, a loyalty, that there's a connection there. And so the kingdom determines a lot because if you live in the United States and you're loyal to this nation and our constitution and how we live, that would look very different, right, if you were a citizen of Iran, Right? or the Congo, or in Russia, right? You have different foundations, and so, you, so our nation and nations want you to pledge allegiance and to say, this is the nation you're loyal to. It was a, a few years ago, we were traveling actually out of the country with our family, and 
um, I, couldn't find, I couldn't find my passport, my, my U.S. passport, and it was getting close to the, the trip. I just don't know what, what happened. And so I was like, no big deal. I'll just travel on my, my European passport because I also have German citizenship. I was born in Germany, so I have a European passport and a U.S. one. So I was like, I'll just travel on the, on the European passport. So we did our trip, no problem. Um, coming back into the country, um, I was like, got, got to customs, and um, I showed him my passport and my family's, and, and he said, uh, so where are you going? I, we lived in Arizona at the time. I said, you know, Arizona, I'm going back home to Arizona. He said, home? He goes, do you, you live there? I said, yeah, I live there. He goes, oh, okay. He goes, uh, where's your green card? I was like, uh, oh, no. He said, I said, I'm a, I'm a U.S. citizen. I just, <laughs> I, I, you know, he was like, um, well, where's your U.S. passport? I said, well, I actually don't uh, have my U.S. passport because I'm, I have dual citizenship, and so I was traveling on my, my European passport, and he said, uh, um, I'm going to need to see your green card um, if you're traveling on your European uh, passport, I said, you know, German citizen. And he goes, what country are you a citizen of? I said, well, I'm a, I'm a German citizen and a U.S. citizen. I've got dual citizenship. He said, I'm going to ask you one more time. <laughs> and he was kind of giving me like a little bit of help. He's like... What country are you a citizen of? And I said, United States of America. And he said, okay, now I can help you. <laughs> um, and it was this reminder, is like, you got a claim. Which one are you? And if you are, then you have certain rights and you have certain privileges. And we had to jump through kinds of different hoops and whatnot. Eventually, yes, they did show I have an active U.S. passport and I'm a citizen. And they, after a lot of hoopla, they, they, they let us in. But it was one of those where, like, you, you want to be a citizen of both? Well, I'm sorry. If you are here, you're going to have to declare. And in this moment, which one are you? Because you have certain rights. You have certain privileges that mean something to be a citizen. So what kingdom are we a part of? What's, what kingdom do we live in? What kingdom do we pledge our allegiance to? And we're talking about the kingdom. And in Jesus' day, the kingdom, now we can show that, that picture, but it was the Roman Empire, right? The Roman Empire, there was, there was so much going on, and, and it, was a, it was a kingdom of might and of power. It was a kingdom that, that, that controlled with an iron fist. There was no doubt who was in charge when you lived in the Roman Empire, especially in, in, in Jerusalem and in Israel and the regions where Jesus walked and lived. As a matter of fact, when we open the Bible and we read in, in the Gospels, like you read in, in Luke, it begins to set the stage for, here's the context for Jesus' life, and it was in this kingdom, right? It says, when, you know, uh, with the birth of Jesus. It says, when Herod was king of Judea, right? So you had Herod as the king of Judea. It talks about the Roman emperor Augustus is the one who took a, a census. And Quirinius was the, the governor of Syria, and then you've got Pontius Pilate that Jesus is before um, at, you know, at the time of his um, accusations and trial. There's Pontius Pilate and there's King Herod. So this all takes place in the context of the kingdom of Rome. And Jesus enters this, this kingdom. But there's also a kingdom of religious leaders and, and you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they had their own power structure and, and, and leadership within the community. And this is the context in which Jesus begins to speak of a new kingdom. And so when Jesus begins his ministry, and, and if we're in, in Luke chapter, uh, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has just been tempted, and he'd been out in the, in the wilderness, and now he's coming to begin his ministry, and here's how it, uh, Matthew shares with us how it begins, verse 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So now the listeners are here. The kingdom of heaven is near, and it does sound like a distant heaven, a, a kingdom in the skies. Is this some kind of spiritual reality? What is this kingdom that he's beginning to announce? A few verses later in verse 23, it says, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, 
teaching in the synagogues, and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. The good news of the kingdom of heaven. I'm announcing it to you. Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here now. And he's going around and saying, there's some good news. I'm going to tell you about it. And, and we read a little further, right, in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus makes it very clear, the kingdom of heaven looks different. Things in the kingdom of heaven are not like you expect. They're not like you see all around you. Things are different here. And so he begins to teach about this amazing kingdom. And as we mentioned in Matthew, it mentions it over 50 times. There's a new day dawning, and it's a kingdom not what you would expect. Now, Jesus was teaching all kinds of good things, right? Like love your neighbor, do good to others, you know, don't hate your enemy, but love your enemy. And why was Jesus executed on a Roman cross? What was it about Jesus that, that this message was, was so volatile that the Romans would ultimately execute him in their capital punishment structure of hanging somebody on a cross? Was it because he said, be nice to other people? Be loving, be kind, be meek, and just kind of don't make any waves and just go about your faith, don't make a stir. They wouldn't have gotten him killed. But Jesus demanded allegiance to a new kingdom. He demanded to say, this, you renounce your other kingdoms, you renounce your other loyalties, and there's a kingdom that comes first, and this kingdom looks different than anything else that you have experienced and expected and so Jesus calls us towards that kingdom. And like me having to pick and choose between my citizenships in that moment, Jesus might be saying, where's your allegiance? What kingdom do you bow down to? Where do you place, what do you place in the first place? Matthew 6, What does he say here? He says, seek the kingdom of God after the Roman Empire. <laughs> Put the Roman Empire first. Put your religion first and then seek after the kingdom of God. No, he said, this kingdom first, above all else, and then everything else. You live righteously, and then God will give you everything you need. And this approach, it threatened the existing power structures, the rulers, the people that were there. It was like, this is a threat to us. Jesus was a threat. And he invited us into this kingdom, this kingdom that's unexpected, this kingdom where we can't just look at, oh, this is just a parallel, like the world has these, and, and the kingdom of God has this. Jesus takes everything turns it upside down. He flips it around. He spins it backwards, and we're left going, oh, this is a different way of living. This is not the way the world approaches things. This is not the way kingdoms and authorities live. How do we live in this kingdom? How do we enter this kingdom? How do we become a part of this kingdom? That is still a relevant question for us today. And over these next several weeks, we're going to dive further into this, to enter into this kingdom Today, I want to talk about how do we get into this kingdom and what does it look like in the way that we approach this kingdom. So you ready to get into the kingdom of God? Let's go into that over these next several weeks. We're going to begin today with part one, more and less. We're going to look at this idea of more and less. What are we talking about here in the kingdom? So I want to rewind a little bit to just before Jesus' ministry and look at a strange and interesting character for a bit named John the Baptist. John the Baptist. John the Baptist was actually Jesus' cousin. He was born to Elizabeth, if you remember the story at Christmas, that Mary went to go see her cousin Elizabeth, who was pregnant uh, before her, and that was John the Baptist. So, but I get the impression that I don't know if they you know, had much interaction. We don't really know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But John felt, um, had the word of God come to him, and that he 
felt his role and, and understood his role and calling to be a prophet, to prepare the way of the Lord was his message. But John wasn't just some ordinary guy. He was strange. He was a spectacle. He was a guy that, like, others went out into the desert where he preached. Like, he, I picture him with, like, long, just, like, dreads, like, all over the place. He's, he's wearing camel, he's wearing, like, a camel hair coat, the Bible says, with leather belt wrapped around him. He's eating honey and locusts. I wonder if that honey, like, gets in his beard. And he's like, prepare the way of the Lord. <laughs> he's out there in the desert. He's out in the wilderness. And it's like, this is how Jesus gets introduced. Like, I would have thought, there, I think of better you know, ways in my imagination to introduce the coming of the kingdom. But this is what the Bible tells us, that John the Baptist was there. Now, now he wasn't Southern Baptist. It wasn't John like the Southern Baptist or like, it wasn't about like his denominational, denomination affiliation, okay? He was John the baptizer. What he was doing, he was baptizing people. And he was saying, repent, right, and turn to God, prepare for the kingdom of God is at, at hand. He's coming, the Messiah is coming, and we need to get ready, and you need to be ready to enter this kingdom. And so he was doing that, and the crowds were coming, and he was, again, drawing, being uh, quite the scene, and he had disciples that were following him, and he was kind of like the social media buzz at the time, right? That's what people went out to see. But then things changed a little bit, and we read further here now in John chapter 3, the, his, John's disciples are getting jealous of the attention that this other man, Jesus, whom John had baptized, was getting, had his disciples. And now the crowds were starting to follow Jesus. And here's what, what happens in this story. John 3, 26, beginning of verse 26. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. <laughs> He's got the buzz. That's where all the attention is, right? He's getting all the clicks, the likes, the follows. It's all happening over there. But look at us, like we're losing our influence. And the disciples are kind of going, John, you used to be, you used to be the man. What's going on here? Jesus is drawing the crowds. Here's how John replies. No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. We should just kind of read that verse sometimes if, when we face jealousy. When we see our neighbors, you know, getting a new car, or maybe a family member, maybe brother or sister gets a better job than you, has some more money, or maybe it's a, it's a competition with somebody at work and you're feeling jealousy of something. John had just this great, this great approach. Yeah, I'm just, I, I, I have joy at his success. But he also understood something, that, that there was more going on, that, that I'm not the Messiah. He understood who he wasn't because he understood who Jesus was. And in this next verse, this is what, what John says. He says, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. This is where this idea of more and less in the kingdom comes from. This idea in the kingdom, what is it that we need more of? What is it that we need less of? More and less. Because when we think about our kingdom, when we think about the kingdoms of this world or even our own kingdom, we think about, oh, more me and less Jesus. I think that's kind of where our world and our society is in many respects. More me and maybe I can have a little bit left over for Jesus. But in the kingdom of God, again, the upside down, backwards, inside out kingdom. No, no, it's more Jesus and less me. 
and it's a shift, and it, it looks different, and, and we see this, and, and maybe you see this at first, and you go, more Jesus, less me. That, seems like, that sounds like an egotistical leader or somebody saying, like a dictator, it's all about me, and it's not about you. But remember, this was John saying that. John was, it wasn't Jesus saying, it's all about me. No, it was John saying, it's all about him. He's the one that we need to focus on. He's the one that's important. And what John recognized is saying, I am not the Messiah. He is. John did not suffer from a Messiah complex, right? And how many of us sometimes think that we're the center of the universe? I mean, that's what our world wants us to know. It's what our culture wants us to know. It's what capitalism wants us to feel. You are the center of the universe. You are at the middle. The world revolves around you. It's all about you. But John realized, no, 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 if he is the Messiah and I am not, then I need to yield to his kingdom. Then I need to yield to his authority and to yield to his power. Now, this flies in the face of modern culture. Build my kingdom. That's what this is, our world is about, right? Aren't we all told to build our own kingdoms? Now, most of us don't have illusions of, you know, like, you know, military might and power and maybe not in politics and government, but... In some ways, we have our own little kingdoms. We all have our own little palaces, don't we? They might be 1,500 square feet or 25, 35, 4,500 square feet, but it's our little palace, right? Our little home where we park our chariots with hundreds of horsepowers. <laughs> we may not have horses, but we have a lot of horsepower. We want access to the world. We want to be served. You have people preparing food exactly how you want it and delivering it right to your door. It's amazing. You have servants from Uber Eats and Grubhub coming right to your door. And then you want to sit in your throne. It's made of leather, and it reclines, and it says Lazy Boy on the side. <laughs> and you have access to streaming services, access to the world from you know, live satellites to stories, 24-hour news, entertainment galore on your 305-inch OLED 75K TV, right? I mean, this is, this is life is good. You hold a remote control in your hand. This is the kingdom to have more. And this is the kingdom that we are challenged with. And, and who needs God? Who needs religion when we have these kingdoms of our own? That we just want to be comfortable and secure and, and protect what we have. It's not what it looks like in the world around us and in the kingdom of God. It's a different, it's a different picture. And see, for us, what, what we see in this kingdom is this. It's that the hope is that more equals being fulfilled. This is, the, this is the way our kingdom and our world works, right? If you want to be fulfilled, just get more of whatever fulfills you. You need more. You find fulfillment in more, in excess, in more. More streaming shows, movies, sports, entertainment, more social media, more endless, uh, you know, endless reels, more clicks, more likes and follows, more music, more concerts, more restaurants and vacations, more clothes, more news, more information, more podcasts, more blogs, more technology, more gadgets, more gizmos, more wine, more beer, more drugs, more sex, more success, more influence, more money, more me, 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 me. And then you will be fulfilled. Right? We've all reached it. We've added more to our lives, and now we are fulfilled. We're not. The hope is that more equals being fulfilled. Instead, more is leaving us empty and, ironically, longing for more. And it's a vicious, vicious cycle that we get in, in this kingdom that we're trying to build. And so we're continually trying to satisfy that. And like an addict trying to get a cheap hit or a quick fix, we just get a little bit more. We eat another meal. 
We go to the well one more time, and it buys us some temporary relief. It buys us some temporary fulfillment or some satisfaction, but the deeper longing is still unmet. We're unsettled and we're anxious in our spirit. How do we find fulfillment? Jesus says in John 6.35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty this longing for more and fulfillment is about trying to satisfy hunger, satisfying thirst, not just sometimes physically, but not just that, right? It's about this longing. And Jesus is saying, look, I will fill you. You're not going to thirst. You're not going to hunger anymore. There's a deeper well. There's a deeper source to draw from. And this is the kingdom of God. It looks very different than the kingdom of the world that promises you fulfillment but never satisfies. Jesus says, it looks different in my kingdom, in God's kingdom. More Jesus, less me. What would that look like in your life, to have more Jesus and less you? I want to talk about that here for just a minute. What would it look like to have more Jesus in our lives over the next 40 days? Like very practically, not just like in theoretical terms. Like what could it look like in the 40 days for you to say, at the end of this time, I really will have, uh, have taken in more of Jesus and have done less of me. And so when you look at this, it's the less part. We're ending in the season of Lent. Now, again, Lent is not something that you would find in the Bible. There's nothing that says this is Lent and this is what you need to practice and this is how you need to do it. It's something out of church history that has been found valuable to Christians over the years, over the centuries, as as some practices. And so during the season of Lent, there's a couple things now between now and Easter that I want us to focus on. And part of Lent and the focusing of that is less, and that means giving something up to create space. So that's one thing when we talk about Lent, one thing we want to do during the season is to give something up so that we can create space, simply making more room. We're really good at adding, aren't we, <laughs> into our lives. We're always try- adding, adding, adding. This is about subtracting. This is about less and making space so that we can have more room for Jesus, but making that room. Now, traditionally through, through Lent has been the practice of fasting. We hate this idea. I don't, I, you know, I mean, in general, right, in general, I'd say 98% of people would say fasting is not something that I look forward to. You know why? Because we love food. <laughs> There's just nothing like having a great meal. You just ate that meal, and then afterwards, you just have that deep, satisfying, right, just like content. It feels good. And we, like, we start getting nervous, and we start saying things like, you know, we, we just ate a big brunch at 10 o'clock, and by like noon, we're like, I'm starving. Are we really? You really can't go two hours without like feeling like I got to eat something now? Like, we don't understand the power that food has had in our, in our own satisfying, in our culture, and in, 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 in satisfying. So fasting is so counterintuitive. The last thing we want to do is fast. Because what happens is you, if you've ever tried fasting or even just skipping a meal, now, if you just skip a meal because you forgot at work somehow, you know, like you skip lunch and you go to dinner, you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot dinner, lunch. Sometimes it doesn't even matter. But if you approach a day and you say, I'm going to skip lunch today, it's amazing. It's all you can think about. I skipped lunch. I'm not going to eat lunch. I didn't eat. It's lunch, and I'm not eating. It's after lunch. I'm hungry. When is dinner? All of a sudden, you realize when fasting makes us realize how strong our cravings are, how strong our need is for fulfillment, and when we take that away, something begins to happen to us. That awareness grows. And fasting has traditionally been a season, and Lent it can be done at any time, But during this season where maybe you fast for an extended period of time, maybe it's for a day, 
Maybe you fast a meal or maybe every lunch, but you take a moment where you, what can you do without? Some people will, will go and say, I just want to start, I'm going to like fast chocolate. I'm going to fast a category of food. Or I'm not going to have any, you know, you know, pop during this time, any soda during this time. And, but it's even those moments where if it's something that you're used to reaching, used to going for, by withholding that, it begins to transform us to realize, what am I craving? And when we experience that urge to, to reach, to grab, to fulfill, it's an opportunity for us to stop and to pray and to say, God, I want to crave you like I crave more than I crave this food. More, I need you to speak into my life. And, and what happens is it begins to give us an awareness of our own bodies. And so how do we do that? And I want to challenge you. Is there something in some way that you can fast from food in some rhythm during these next 40 days? I'm fasting lunch on Thursdays. That's one thing I'm going to do, and I'm going to take time during Thursday to, to get into God's Word and to just pray and to take like half an hour during that time and not eat. That's, that's just one of the things I'm going to fast during this time. And there are other things as well. But what might you do to do that? Uh, but you could also fast things, and I'm going to do this as well. I'm going to fast from social media. Uh, there's other kinds of fast where where are you spending time? How can you create space by giving something up? What is it maybe that you find yourself doing mindlessly? Maybe just say, I'm fasting Netflix or streaming or amazing how much time we may be able to find. But the goal here, again, is to give something up in order to create space, which then allows for the more, which is to dedicate time to focus on Jesus. So that's the kind of the way those two things work together, right? You're creating space. Instead of saying, I don't have time, I don't have space, I don't have desire, now you're going to create that, and in this time, you're going to fill that. How do you fill that? Maybe you go on a walk, and you just go for a prayer walk, or you go on a gratitude walk, and you say, God, thanks for my life, thanks for these things, pray for people around you. Maybe, again, you sit at lunch, and you find a quiet spot. Maybe it's in your car. You have these devotionals that we have. You take some time every day and say, God, I'm going to create some space for more of you, that quiet time, that focusing on Jesus. What will you give up to have more time for Jesus? Do it. Like, literally, make a decision. In your journal, there's a space to write that down and watch what God can do in that space and in that time over these next several weeks. Now, another thing that was traditionally done in the season of Lent is getting ready to be baptized, is to get baptized. This was, a, this was a season of preparation for those that had committed their life to Christ and faith, and now they were doing the things that saying, I want to prepare myself for a baptism on Easter. And we have the opportunity for baptism on Easter as well, and I wonder if some of you who have never taken the step of baptism, you've made a commitment to follow Jesus, you've given your life to him, but you've never gotten baptized and you might be thinking, like, isn't there another way to declare my faith and my allegiance to, to Jesus instead of getting up in front of a bunch of people and getting soaking wet and going underwater in a public setting? Can I just go, like, to a class? Is it not just enough to sit in a comfortable padded pew in a heated church with a big screen and good coffee and good music? Like, doesn't that just show that I'm part of the kingdom of God? The Bible and the history of the faith modeled by Jesus, starting with John the Baptist, was to be baptized in a public place, the Jordan River with crowds around. Where is your allegiance? I have, I have repented of my sins. I've confessed my faith in Jesus Christ. I've turned to him, and now I'm getting baptized. I'm being buried with Christ, and I'm being raised to new life in him. That is the picture that is the picture of, of, of baptism, and that is what Lent is, and it's reminding us over and over again that Jesus came to give his life to surrender so that we could have new life. And so when we get baptized, we align with that, and that is like our passport. That is like our declaration of how we enter the kingdom of heaven. 
that we are of the baptized ones, that we have renounced and been our sin and that we have been washed clean and we are raised to new life with Jesus. And that is the message that John the Baptist taught. That is the message that Jesus taught. Repent, turn to God, and be baptized. Is this something that you need to talk about or that we can walk with you through to say, this is the day, this is the year, this is the moment. It's time for you to stop putting it off and to get baptized. It's a powerful moment for you. It's a powerful moment for the church. It's a powerful moment for those that you are sharing your faith with publicly to remind us that even today, God continues to change lives as we enter into his kingdom. As I close, I just want to think about Jesus. I want you to, as you look at the cross, and you think about this cross and this picture of this cross, and we talk about less and more. This cross to me, the cross to me symbolizes Jesus himself saying, less. I'm going to strip everything away. There was no more humiliating, there was no more bare, exposed moment than to hang virtually naked on a cross, nailed there to die in front of the onlooking world. And that was Jesus. It was the less. It was everything was taken away. Everything was stripped away. His friends, his disciples, his followers, everything. He even said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's the path of going through the less to get to the more, to get to the empty cross, to get to the empty tomb where there is life, more life, where there's more abundance, where there is the good life, the life to the fullest that Jesus has promised us. And it's this path from less to more and more of Jesus, less of us, that we discover true life. Jesus himself said this. He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. This is the upside down backwards kingdom. This is not the message of our world. It's exactly the opposite. But what Jesus is saying is it's in the act of giving up, it's in the act of less that you're going to discover more of who Jesus is and that you're actually going to gain. He says, what good does it if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul in the process? Seek first the kingdom of God. Turn from your sins. Repent and turn to God and be baptized. Enter this kingdom in humility. Enter this kingdom with an acknowledgement that I am not the Messiah, but I need the Messiah. I need the resurrected Christ. Let's take these next 40 days, these days between now and Easter, to really say, God, less of me. I must become less and less. He must become greater and greater. And when he does in our lives, we will experience that transformation. Let's bow our heads for a moment, and I just want you to reflect and just think about where and how can you create space over these next six weeks leading up to that great celebration of Easter Sunday where you are creating space for Jesus. And maybe this is the season where you say, I want to enter into that kingdom. I want to confess my sins. I want to turn to God, and I want to be baptized. Pray to God in this moment. Just ask God to show you how best you can follow him today. Heavenly Father, the kingdom you ushered in is such an amazing kingdom. 
that turns what we know upside down. And Father, it's, it causes us to wrestle in our spirit with these everlasting, eternal truths, God, that in order to find our life, we're actually called to lay it down. And in the act of laying it down, God, you raise us up to a new and more valuable and beautiful life than we could have ever imagined. Father, in a world of excess and more and seeking for power and domination, Lord, may, may we model something different where we're willing to go after less, to create space, and Father, to seek you more. May you become greater and greater. May we become less and less is our prayer. Help us to enter this kingdom and discover what it means to truly live. Father, may you be lifted up. May you be exalted. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.